no, no pundit on TV will ever get a job again. <laughs> all righty guys welcome back i know you missed us it's been three weeks since the last 40 yard switch podcast uh for lack of a better phrase life got in the way and today even it's not quite the full cohort back uh wilbur is uh, uh indisposed uh because he's a very busy man so today we've got on a uh, former guest and good longtime friend of mine josh ring to co-host welcome G'day, g'day. It's nice to step into the Wilby's shoes. They're a bit large for me, but we'll see how I go. Fun fact, you two are actually the exact same shoe size. I think I sold him a pair of boots a while back. You did sell him a pair of football boots a while back. (laughs) Funny story. Yeah. So um, appropriately sized shoes to feel, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, we've got, uh, as it's been two weeks, we've got quite a bit of um, stuff to get through. Uh, Obviously, we've picked out you know, probably what would what would be considered like the most important things uh, that have happened in the Premier League and Champions League over the past uh, two and a, 20 days. So the last episode was uploaded on the 9th of September and it is the 29th today. Uh, so we'll get into the Champions League stuff later. But the first thing I want to discuss with you, Josh, uh, a, a team that we both often revel in hating. Um, <laughs> See, we'll, we'll be really likes United, so I can never really get into how much I dislike United on the podcast. So this is this is interesting. So anyway, Manchester United, they're for, I would say they're struggling at the moment. They're not they're not where they'd like to be. Would you agree? Mm. I think it's an interesting one because if you look at a ladder, you see them in the top four, one point behind Liverpool, tied with City and Chelsea. You look at that and you say, hmm, yeah, they're they're doing just fine. That's where you expect them to be. But then you look at who they've played, and then you look at their cup results, and yeah, that's it's not really where you want to be. You get knocked out of the cup. You've lost to the young boys. It's a bit of a struggling start. Yeah, uh, like obviously. So I've got their all their results since the last podcast on the 9th of September. So obviously there was the Ronaldo debut where they thrashed mm. Newcastle four one, and everyone was like, "All is well." All everyone that sports United was like all is well in the world. Ronnie's back. We're going to win the league. Yada, yada, yada. Then less than a week later, they lose two, one away to young boys from Switzerland in the champions league. Then the week, the weekend following that they scrape a two, one win against West Ham, despite looking anywhere near convincing. And obviously a penalty misses that could have equalized the game. Me and you have ranted and raved about how you never bring on a substitute to take a penalty, but, that, <laughs> but that's another story for another day. So they scrape, they scrape through with a two-one win against West Ham, and then they go and lose uh, their EFL Cup tie to West Ham again. Although both bit teams, of revenge, yeah, a bit of revenge. Although both teams, in essence, were playing B teams, there was probably only one or two t- players that you would consider starters for both teams playing in that uh, game. But they lose uh, mm. earlier than a team like United would want to go out. Although even the people call the EFL cup, you know, a Mickey mouse cup, what have you. But the fact of the matter is they lost. And then this weekend, just gone, they've lost one nil to Aston Villa at home. So obviously things aren't clicking and they are coming up against Everton in the, uh, on the weekend. And they have got a champions mm-hmm. league game tomorrow morning, uh, a Europa league final rematch against Villarreal. So it's not exactly plain sailing ahead. No, and if you if you look at some of those results um, previously, the like you're saying, scraping through with the victory, the game they lost to Young Boys, it was an early red card that they got absolutely obliterated. I think they had two shots for the whole game, um, and Villa played, you know, came to United at Old Trafford and were not intimidated. And if, if you look at the EFL Cup as well, you mentioned a Mickey Mouse Cup. Look at Pep City because that's where United should be now with all this money they've been invested, right? They should Absolutely. be challenging with Pep City. They don't lose games in the third round of the EFL Cup, even if it is a Mickey Mouse Cup. They just don't do that. Their squad, it's if, if Pep was to get knocked out in the third round and it was City, not United, can you imagine the fanfare? Oh, yeah. But United's kind of just gotten away with it somehow. 
So, yeah, so it wasn't really talked about. It was just kind of like, oh, they lost, who cares type of thing. Exactly. So yeah. it's, it's interesting how they managed to avoid that. And it was also you talk about like top teams uh, and teams that go on to win the Premier League, at Leicester aside, generally, they're teams that are incredibly deep. Like you And mm. teams like, like Liverpool routinely field in the F, not only the EFL Cup, but the FA Cup as well. Liverpool routinely field far weaker sides and make it to the quarterfinal, semifinal stage almost every year. City the same, Chelsea similar as well. Like they're in and around about the FA Cup semifinals and in and around about the EFL last um, eight yep. year in, year out. So, and it all comes down to like being able to rotate your squad and make it deep-ish into these tournaments while also your first team is doing it in the league. So when mm. your first team's not do- really doing it in the league, like even before the 4-1 win against Newcastle, they scraped through against Wolves in a game that they didn't deserve to win. Like, yeah. like I've, I've, I've watched that whole game and they were backs against the wall for a lot of it. Uh, with Wolves having a large majority of the chances. I remember us talking about that game as it was <laughs> happening and we were like, this is ridiculous. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of issues that sort of remain around United at the moment. I think the biggest one for me is that they, all the fanfare around the Ronaldo, Sancho, Varane signings was great, but they didn't address their biggest concern, which was a defensive midfielder. And they're, <laughs> they're lining up every game with McFred, as, as I like to call that duo. <laughs> and it, it's just not, it's not good enough to, to, to be a, it's not, it's, it's, it's not really a, even a top six defensive midfielder, defensive midfield pairing, let alone a title winning top uh, defensive midfield pairing. So I think that's really hindering them at the moment. Absolutely. And I, I don't know how, uh, I guess, aggressively I've said it to you, but I don't think Fred is a good player at yeah. all. <laughs> <laughs> to put it to put it politically, yes. Uh, and like you compare it, like you said, Ronaldo signing. Look at their front line. Look at the players that they got. They got Martial, Rashford, Sancho, Greenwood, Ronaldo, Cavani. That that six. They had to get rid of Jan James, you know, because they have too many players that play those roles. And they've got a they're, fresh and rejuvenated Jesse Lingard. <laughs> they're brimming. And then you look in the midfield, and you're like, "Yep, we're going to play Fred every week to anchor our midfield." Like, yeah. What's going on there? And like they're having to shoehorn in Pogba into like left attacking midfield because he doesn't work next to either of the defensive midfielders. Just like Pogba is a box-to-box midfielder, but he needs that strong anchor next mm. to him in midfield that will allow him to, you know, be a little bit more risky with on the ball, get get forward more, maybe not do as much defensive work. But there's no confidence in playing Pogba there, if you've got Fred or McTominay next to him, because it's just, it's it's like, well, you saw it against Wolves. They were just constantly overran. And you look at you know, uh, Liverpool and City, they've got Fabinho and Fernandinho, or Fernandinho less so now, but like these guys Audrey. have been destroyers for many years. Like you look at the teams, you look at Chelsea, you know, as well. You've always got this like elite defense, Defensive destroyer that can really just do all the dirty work in the midfield that lets these Pogbas and these Brunos shine. Um, and, you know, you don't get, you don't really unlock these players unless you give them defensive cover. Absolutely. And like it, 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 it begs the question like you said just before, like they had this wealth of attacking talent, like wingers coming out their ears basically. And they spent 70 million on. Sancho or whatever, or 75 million on Sancho, could they not have spent the exact same amount of money on Declan Rice? Or even or even less, slightly less money, and you give West Ham Lingard. Yeah. Like begs the question, why was this not something they were thinking about? It's interesting. I I I think that United still has uh how would you say it? They're they're a big club and they have this big appeal that's not just on the football field. They've got the, the global spectatorship and like a Ronaldo signing does that in wonders. Like look at, look at their social medias blow up because all the new fans like Messi at PSG, but at home that Sancho signing is almost an appeasement um, for the, for the English squad, you know, get the, the young up and coming English player. We want him when he inevitably turns into like the next world beater, but that's, almost addressing a different issue and not the issue of what does our squad need this season? Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I just, and again, it comes down to you, obviously. And again, with the Ronaldo thing, like obviously Ronaldo's there, you take him, it's a club legend. And, um, you know, but like, but they had Cavani, they had other players up there, but like he sells shirts. So it's a no brainer, you get him in. Yeah. But I just think that, yeah, like they didn't address the most pressing issues. And a quote that I've heard Gary Neville say midweek, which was, I'm sort of paraphrasing here a little bit, but it says they don't play well enough as a team to win this league. You have to be a unit in and out of possession. And when you only deliver in moments, those moments won't go for you in certain games. It's sort of talking about like how they don't ever like dominate for sustained periods in any of these games. Mm. And I feel like that comes down to like, you've bought a bunch of these big name players that haven't really addressed apart from Varane. Uh, it's like pressing needs in your team. And they're like now not really gelling as a team. And therefore like you'll have players that will deliver great moments, a Bruno Fernandes, a Jesse Lingard, like against West Ham, a, a Ronaldo all the time, but like certain games, it's not going to happen. You know, Ronaldo couldn't mm. find the, could, barely got a look in against Aston Villa, barely got a look at a part. And then um, Bruno's barely, barely got a look in, in the past four games. So it's like, and to top it all off, the penalty thing. Yeah. Uh, it's like I don't I don't know what Ole's play is with the media, whether he intentionally is like, I'm gonna say something really stupid to take the heat off our players and our performances. Like they came in and the first thing he says is like, oh, the goal was offside. Yeah, I saw that. It's just it's like, like he he it's like I saw and I saw a bunch of United fans complaining on Reddit being like, You sound like a mug, like don't say that we've just been absolutely like taken to the clean not taken to the cleaners but like shown up on our home turf by Aston Villa like and yeah I don't know if that's an intentional tactic if he realized that the players are performing poorly and instead of having people talk about the players they're going to talk about whatever outlandish thing he said or if it's actual delusion because the point that you were saying that Gary Neville brought up about them not playing as a team it's it's interesting. Is it a personnel issue or is it a management issue? And I don't think we can tell yet, but you've got good personnel in some places, but are they willing to be let the team be above them? I, again, thinking back to City on the other side of Manchester, Pep's teams have, you know, multi-hundred million dollar players, but they put in dirty work for the club. Like you've got players like Bernardo Silva, who runs his head off up and down all the time. You've got their forward wingers, like you've got like Sterling working really, really hard. I'm just wondering if that culture in City kind of has this kind of cutthroat attitude that says, you know, none of you are bigger than this club. I've got all these people on the bench. You can lose your spot. But, you know, at United, is the same, is the same thing happening? Is there really that kind of cutthroat desire that is it City that is going to win them a Champions League or win them a Premier League? It's a good question because it comes back again. Like, obviously, I think to, to, over the last two years, Oli has done a good job. I think he's done, he's, he's done, a, he's done a really good job in, in getting United you know, to where they were at the end of last season, Europa League final and second in the league. But a thing that was pointed out recently on Monday Night Football was that, like, he's had two seasons now. The third season is where it has to start to click. You've spent, they've spent a lot of money. And if you look at it in uh, it's sort of, they did a parallel with Jurgen Klopp's form uh, as a manager over the first three seasons of his career. First two seasons, I think it was like a, a fifth and a fourth or a fourth and a fourth consolidating, getting rid of Deadwood. And then they bought Van Dyke and Allison, and then they took off. Mm-hmm. They got 97 points or something in the league. They finished second, only just a city and they made the champions league final. Uh, and it's just, or, the, or they won the champion, like one of those two. I think they made the Champions League final. Um, yeah, lost to and, Madrid. Lost to Madrid, yeah. And it's just like, this is now that third season volley. Like the money's been spent. You, you, yeah, like probably if you if you line them up player for player, the United team is not as good as Liverpool. That Liverpool's team that season. I, but no if you look in, if you look at it back then when Klopp was coming in, his squad was viewed as a much worse squad than the United squad was. Oh, he just managed to transform these players into players that are worth the money where United's buying players who already are at that level. Yeah. So it comes into question again. Like I, like I said, I think Oli's done a very, very good job up until this point, but like it's now time to really have his medal tested to see if he is a, a winning manager. Like he's lost a cup, he's lost a cup final now. 
Uh, and he has now a squad that, like, whether you, whether you, like McFred at defensive midfield or aside, should be challenging for the league and should be challenging for in the Champions League. So, like, it, it now has to, like, the, the chips are down and, like, it's his third season. Like, hundreds of millions of pounds have been spent. It needs to happen now. And my question is the last thing I really want to say about this whole United thing is if they're, if, if it, like the title race essentially is a four horse race, right? And it hopefully will be until at least March. If, if United are feasibly like out of that, like they're like 10, 15 points adrift by like January, February, and they're out of the Champions League by then, do you think Oli goes or is he, he's getting the season regardless? Uh, I think that if they have a really good uh, offer, like for, for Liverpool, when they signed Klopp, it was one of those moves where we're happy to move on with the coach because we know we've got a good backup. So if they've got someone lined up that is uh, like a, a really high in-demand coach that maybe he's not at his club anymore or someone wants to work for him, then that becomes a lot more of an attractive situation. But if they're getting rid of him mid-season and there's no like elite coaches that are really available to sign, then you probably wait till the end of the season so you can actually poach one of those coaches at the end of the season because yeah. you can't just there's there's not many coaches that are going to come into that side and win and win trophies and you got to wait till one of them's available or wait till the end of the season and convince yeah. them to come over. I agree. I agree. Barring a disaster, I think like uh, Ollie stays with United till the end of the season. But I I have a gut feeling he doesn't make it to next season. I just, mm. I've got a gut feeling that, and like people can come back and not that I don't think anyone will, but people can come back to this podcast, you know, months and months <laughs> down the track and be like, look how wrong you were. But I, I don't see United winning the league and I honestly don't see them making it past the round of 16 in the champions league, but we'll see how that, we'll see how that, you know, pans out. Look, uh, don't want to jump the gun too early because like you said, you mentioned their upcoming games this week, but if you look at the premier league, their next five games, Everton is their first game, which you mentioned. And then they've got Leicester, followed by Liverpool, followed by Tottenham, followed by Man City. So yeah. you've got four teams that finished in the top five last uh, or top six last year. Um, and then you've got Everton as well. Conceivably, they could lose all those games and then it's warning sirens. Because this is something we were talking about uh, a couple of days ago on Facebook, like like realistically to stay in the title race, you want nine points out of those, but like they could slip up against absolutely any of those teams. Or they could come and they could win all of those games. And then we look like idiots because United have just like now on top of the league and dominating. So I think this is this upcoming month or so will be a really good indicator for how they're going to track the rest of the season. Yeah. And then, and then by the end of that run, it'll be roughly around that like 10, 11 games gone in the premier league mark where you could, where generally you can look at the table and be like, get a fairly good, like semblance of what it's going to look like towards the end of the season as well. Mm, absolutely. Which will be interesting. But anyway, uh, enough about, oh, you know, and they also play Chelsea in round 13, two games after that. So maybe, go. maybe we can stretch it into November. <laughs> I definitely stretch it into November. But anyway, enough, <laughs> enough, enough about United and onto another team. Uh, I dislike for, for lack of a better, for lack of a better word and a team that I uh, support Arsenal and Tottenham. Mm. Now, uh, before we go into breaking down each team and how the tables have turned, uh, I'm just going to throw some, throw some numbers at you going into the international break. Spurs were three wins from three, nine points, first in the league. Arsenal were zero wins from three, zero points, 20th in the league. Since the international break, Spurs are three losses from three, 11th in the league. Arsenal are three wins from three, 10th in the league. What's going What's happened? Well, uh, I'll let you talk about Arsenal because they're your <laughs> club you. and Thank you would you. have watched every minute. Um, you can tell me what's happened, but I'm going to break down Spurs before the stats you mentioned and after and why them being terrible is not surprising. Yeah. So first game of the season, they played Manchester City, the best performance of the season that they've had so far. They won 1-0. City were the better team. Probably yeah. should have won the game. And to, like, I, I've said this to Wilbur and a couple of other people, like it's the like, more and more I feel like the first game of the season is a throwaway. Like you can't really judge much on the first game of the season. And I feel like since since that first game, City have been lights out. Like great indicator of both teams is this first game. 
um, or, or sorry, of how this first game is not useful. Second game, Wolves. You mentioned before, Wolves should have beat United. Wolverhampton was cursed for like the first four or five games this season and they just could not buy a goal. They absolutely destroyed Spurs, completely outplayed them off the park. But what was that like just, stats shot you messaged me at halftime or something? It was like that was something... that's the that's the Palace game. We'll oh, get there. Okay. Yeah. But Wolves destroyed them and just couldn't score. Nuno got super lucky against his old club. 1-0. Two wins from two. Things are flying. Third game, they come up against Watford, one of the weakest teams in the league. And it was a terrible game. Both teams should have lost a point for like how bad this game was. Um, and they managed to sneak away 1-0 win. And this is where we get the stat. Tottenham, three out of three. Nuno wins manager of the manager of the month. Ludicrous. And all of the commentators now start saying, oh, you know, people were worried about Tottenham, but look at them go. If you watch them play, you're still worried about Tottenham. So we get to the fourth game, which is now post-international break, where things start falling apart. The, st- the shot stat, Crystal Palace. They did not register a shot against Crystal Palace in the first half. They had a red card uh, in the 57th minute and then Palace gone to score three goals. At the end of the game, Tottenham registered two shots for the entire 90 minutes. Only one Crystal on target, Palace. right? That One, one on Lucas. target. Yeah. Two shots. Then they come up against Chelsea and Chelsea make them look like children. I'll talk more about this, the, what they did in that game. 3-0. It's all over again. And then the North London derby, which I'll let you talk about um, in the Arsenal segment. Yeah. But <laughs> they weren't good in any of their games. And the fact that they are where they are now is lucky. Um, what's, what's the reason? Why can't they play well? Well, their new signings haven't settled in yet, which is understandable. Emerson Royale and Brian Gilles. Like, give them time. You have to. That's understandable. Um, we've got Harry Kane, who doesn't want to be at the club. Yeah, I heard, I heard someone say uh, his mind's halfway up the M6 to Manchester. <laughs> He, when he when he said he was going to play for Tottenham this season, his uh, reassurance was, um, I'm with the club for the summer. He didn't even mention the entire season. Yeah. Hinting at a transfer out in the, in the summer transfer window. Then this comes back to the same issues they had with Mourinho, which is part of the reason they got rid of Mourinho, is they can't create goal-scoring opportunities. Um, Son is consistently across all the top leagues the biggest overachiever in terms of goals versus expected goals. Like his finishing is just through the roof. He scores more goals than he should every season. Kane is also above that. So Tottenham don't create chances, but have players that are scoring more than they should. And law of averages has to come in at some point and even that out, right? I think it might be coming in now. (laughs) Or or maybe. Well, like (laughs) they're still underperforming this season in terms of goals they're creating and they've won three games. So they're sneaking through. Nuno is meant to have fixed these issues. He's bringing in players like Dali Ali to be more creative, but Dali Ali is not going to be anywhere. I don't think, like, I don't know what you think. Do you think he's going to ever be able to reach the heights that he was a few seasons ago? Ali is rubbish. Exactly. I don't think he's good enough. Um, and now they're sitting with three wins, but in terms of expected goals, they're second last in the entire league, only mm-hmm. ahead of Norwich. And yep. Norwich is... No, they're terrible. Sorry, Norwich. So they're second last in terms of the amount of goals they've um, expected goals. You've got Nuno against Chelsea, who seems like he's given up. He's put Son as striker and Kane as a wide forward because he thinks that Son might be able to exploit Thiago Silva, maybe in pace. You've got the best striker in the league for the last seven seasons who scored over 160 goals and you're putting him out as a wide forward. Is it just me or does that not sound like you don't trust your team to score goals in the way that they should? Yeah. And he's like not remotely quick at all. Kenny. like it doesn't, that doesn't work at all. No. Like I, and his I, defensive work wasn't good enough either. And I also saw like someone, I forget which pundit it was, but someone was saying that I think maybe might've been Kara, And he said that like Nuno has, an identity and a way of playing that makes him a good manager. Like you saw it at Wolves. He, he, he sets up with a back three. It's very defensive mm-hmm. and, and it's fast on the counter-attack and it's pragmatic. And you look at the players that he had at his disposal at Wolves. This is the type of players. And you look at the players he's got at his disposal at Tottenham, the type of players like Raul Jimenez, Harry Kane, very similar strikers. You've got Hyung Min Son, Adama Traore, not 
exactly the same, but like fast. Because Song can actually score goals. Yeah, because Song can actually finish, <laughs> but like fast, fast, really good on the counter players. And then and then you look like Podence or uh, Pedro Neto or any of those guys, and then you can sub in Stefan Bergwijn, Lucas Moura, uh, Giovanni Los Celso, any of those guys. And then you look like you've got centre backs. You've got Davinson Sanchez, Eric Dyer. Uh, Christian Romero, uh, Joe Rodon, any any one of them could uh, you can make a back three out of any of them. Then you've got Emerson Royale or um, Matt Doherty, who's who he's played with Reguillon. before and had success, at, at, and Reg, and and Reguillon, um, who and Reguillon. I'm not going to go into it too much, but I think Reguillon <laughs> Reguillon offensively is 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 quite a good player like he's, he's very good he's got good delivery into the box he uh he can go he can actually beat a player decently down the line but defensively he's not good i'm, I'm gonna I, i've said yeah. worse things about him recently but he's he's not good he can't defend one-on-one his positioning is is terrible to be honest like uh he's constantly like like not in the right position for crosses coming into the box gets beat his man like comes in behind him at the back post various things but basically the players he has at, at his disposal would perfectly suit his three or, or his yep. five, two, three formation that he likes to play. He's got, and then you've got, yeah, you've got uh, Ndombele and Hoiberg or Hoiberg and uh, Skip. Like a- any of those players would perfectly suit this style of play. But for some reason he thinks because he's gone to Tottenham, he needs to play a different way. But like, I, I just don't think he needs to. Like he's, he's got the players that he's disposed to play the way he knows how to play. And arguably he's got better players to do that. And his midfields that he's putting out are got are like skip alley winks. Like what? Like yeah. Hoiberg is at the moment, in my opinion, the only player who deserves to start in that midfield because Ndombele is a great player, but his head is not like his attitude is. Yeah, he, phone, he phones great. it in with, yeah, like every right. second week. So like this midfield three is, as you mentioned, Jamie Carragher, he said, there's less space on the moon than in the middle of the Spurs midfield. <laughs> I, remember, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> like, if you, it's just not a good midfield and you want to stick with this. Why don't you go to your, play your wing backs? Play Hoiberg is perfect in that formation. I don't know. Spurs have issues. They can't score goals. They can't create chances. And they look toothless in all the games that they play in. Yeah. They're lucky to have nine points. Yeah, extremely. And I, and I like... I mean, I, I'm loving it at the moment, obviously, as an Arsenal fan. May, may, long may it continue. But, like, it, the reality is, like, if Nuno just, like, you know, cuts his losses and goes back to what he knows best, these results, they might not turn around overnight, but they'll get better. And, like, you're not going to leak. Like, they've leaked nine goals in three games since the international break. And, like, it, I, I, I'm going to talk about Arsenal in a second, but, like, every team, it's not been hard to score. Like mm. Palace had no trouble. A, 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 yes, a red card, but to be honest, Palace were threatening had, a whole game. Were threatening the whole game, and uh, Chelsea obviously easy. And to be honest, in the first half of that North London derby, Arsenal made it look easy. Like I, for, like I at, at the time, I was messaging you on Facebook while the game was going on. I was like, "Oh my god, we're playing so amazing! Look at us go!" Because, <laughs> like, on, to be honest, it's the first time we've looked half decent all season. But. Looking back on it, I was I've watched the highlights back a, a number of times. Obviously, serotonin hit every you know every time I do it. But they allowed us to play so well mm. in that game. Like like you said, more space on the moon. You've got Deli Ali on the same line as the forwards. You've got Ndombele like and Hoiberg on either side of the halfway line on the left touchline, and then the entire rest of the middle of the park free to play in. And that's how we scored two of our goals essentially. Mm. So. I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, tell uh, me how how did that game look like tactically? Because you've got you've got this Spurs team that we're pulling apart. Did did Arsenal like did Arteta make amazing decisions or like what what happened? I think slowly since the international break and Arsenal got um, uh, aside from Shaka's red card suspension, uh, um, they got pretty much their first team back because Gabriel and Partey had been injured and Ben White was out with COVID, so. They since the international break, he's had his first team back and like the team that he wants to progress with for the majority of the season. And scrappy but morale boosting wins against Norwich and Burnley with um clean sheets, uh, uh with the Ramsdale, Gabriel, and Ben White tri- trio at the back, looking seemingly quite solid. Um, and then obviously party slowly working his way into 
uh, full 90 minute fitness, but then it's like, but you hadn't really seen any, we, we still struggled to like, we, we moved the ball well and created chances, but there was still what well, it was is disjointed. Like it was like, right. it was like, it was like a team that it was like a team that maybe that hadn't had only played one game of preseason. It just looked a bit weird. But then I think Tottenham's where you finally start, and albeit with help from Tottenham's terrible setup, you finally started to see a semblance of an identity that hopefully Arteta is instilling in the team. Like we were pouncing on anything that was lofted over the top. And then as soon as that ball fell into the middle of the park, an Erdegaard, a party, uh, even a Smith Rowe dropping in, would be first to that ball. It'd be one, two, touch, and then it's out to Tierney, out to Saka. And it just it just worked like it's hard to really say like it it was how good we were playing because like I said like Spurs just not only were they like tactically not there but like they didn't really want second balls like but yeah it, um, it, it was just it was just really good to see that like we we had an identity which was we win that ball from Ben White or Gabriel uh and then we bring it down we exchange a couple of passes to to work it out of the midfield, and then it's in, and then it's in behind to Tierney or Smith Rowe. It's in behind to Saka, and then the first goal really is the what I hope to see a lot more of, which is like we won the ball. Saka then flicks it onto Odegaard. Odegaard is now and it's now four on four against Spurs' back four. Gives it to Saka, and then Saka tries his best to beat uh, Reggie on one on one. Does cuts it back, and it's a very City esque goal with like he cuts yeah. it back to the penalty spot and Smith Rowe. Arrives late. Runner. Yeah, it's very city esque, and you obviously tell because uh, I said as assistant coach at City for three seasons, uh, it's like you can sell. It's a similar sort of style of play that he wants to get. Obviously, we don't have the players at our disposal that City have, but for me, it was just like it was really, it was really sort of like the first sign of what I hope is what we're trying to build moving forward. First sign of an identity that I hopefully. Mm. We, we can build on as we because there's still lots of work to be done i thought the second half was quite poor we only really had one chance and kane if he wasn't if he wasn't you know halfway up the m6 probably could have had two one or two goals and uh we sort of switched off for the song, song goal as well but yeah like, that first half was something really good to build on and obviously we're coming up against brighton who are looking quite impressive this week so to if we can consolidate this now and put mm. in and show similar sides signs of um, good attacking flow and good attacking uh, tactics while staying as defensively resolute as we have shown to be for the most part in the past three seasons, th- uh, three games, then it, it's good signs. But I'm not, also, gonna, not getting ahead of myself at all. Yeah. That city DNA that you said that to me that came out in the uh, the goal that actually you built up back to the goalkeeper managed to actually play the ball all the way through that's so city-esque in the way that Arteta when he first came to the club he's like yep well my center backs to be like right next to my goalkeeper we're building up from the back and it just didn't work because the players weren't there yet oh yeah um and the fact that you're scoring goals from it now might mean that it starts working it's actually a really funny like little anecdote I want to I don't know surprisingly I've never showed you this before but um after we got beaten by 3-1 by you guys a year ago yesterday uh like in the post-match interview, Mikel's like, uh, we tried to press them high up the pitch, win the ball back, but, you know, then all of a sudden Van Dyke plays a 60-yard ball to Salah and they're out. Yep. And that's like, play. <laughs> and, 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 and like it's, uh, that's, how, that's how you beat a lot of teams. Um, and essentially he was, he was hinting that we, we, don't, we didn't at the time didn't have that caliber of talent in the team. And then there's a video now on Arsenal Reddit of him saying that and then Ben White, doing that like four times or five times in the last two games against Burnley and Spurs. Mm. And it's just like, it's like Ben White gets it long ball out to Tierney. Ben White gets it long ball up the long ball up the line to Saka. And it's just like, that's the identity. It's like we, we play out from the back, but if we get pressed long ball to technical players, hard the pitch. So there's release. like multiple, multiple avenues to go now, which yep. again is, is, is looking potentially positive. But like I said, <laughs> and like I've said to you earlier, uh, this week already, like, I've been hurt before, so <laughs> uh, I'm 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 high on the win, but uh, and there's good signs, but I want us to see it, see us building it. We've got quite a uh, I don't want to say easy, but like compared to the other other you know quote unquote top six teams, we've got quite a 
decent run over the next few games. We've got Brighton, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, Leicester, Watford. Like yep. tough-ish games, but like there's no City, there's no Liverpool, there's no United, there's no Chelsea in there. So uh, if, if we can get at least nine points out of those five, I'll be really happy. The bar's yeah. definitely been risen in that mid-table of the Premier League in the last few years with your, your West Ham's and your Villas and your Leicester's. And now they're tough games now. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot more tough games than it used to be. Yeah. But and yeah. Brighton. Yeah, and Brighton, which is yeah, a team that we, we'll, I, we probably should touch on in just a second. But yeah, uh, I think Arsenal, for the most part, it's good to see a string three wins, or I guess four wins if you include the, include the Wimbledon game, uh, in a row. But... I'm just like hesitant to get yeah. overly excited because there was still things I didn't like in the second half, but like, yeah, like the, the way we've flipped the script on Spurs is, is really good. And un- unlike Spurs, there's, there's a lot to be hopeful about in our performances. Mm. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. But yeah. Um, one, one team we just didn't mention before is Brighton. Um, just, just briefly, uh, they've, found themselves in sixth position uh one uh, only one loss this season to everton and they've beat uh teams and beat the teams they should beat but also beat leicester uh and like i don't know they're quietly going about their business um that duffy seems to be a more than capable replacement for ben white and um yeah i don't know like i wouldn't i wouldn't have picked them to be top half and but like the way they're playing who knows well i think it's i think brighton's an interesting one in that they're that team that has flown under the radar last year in the sense that they weren't as good on the stats and on the, their results as they were on the pitch. And not a lot of people are out there watching Brighton games and there's five games on at the midday kickoff, you know, at the same no. time. And the thing with Brighton is that Graham Potter has turned this team back in the days with Aaron Moy, um, and it's kind of sad actually that Moy and Ryan aren't there when they're doing so well, but um, they've turned this team into a really attractive footballing team. And if you look last year, some uh, modelling from like uh, expected points based off the way games should have gone yeah, said that I'm... Brighton should have got 20 more points last season and finished in fifth place. Their XG was wild last year expected 20 like 20 points they would have finished in fifth now can you imagine they didn't have like jahan uh, jahan bush jahan bush yeah yeah i can't pronounce his name imagine they had like a more clinical forward up in there just like putting in goals like we would be looking at brighton the way we're looking at um at villa and west ham yeah uh they lost ben white like you mentioned is Kieto, matt ryan were their biggest losses so not really apart from ben white they're not really huge losses and shane duffy yeah, has come in and been like because i think he was out on loan last season mm. and, and has come dunk. back and back being really good yeah and dunk holds that like plays that oh, strong defending role in the center backs as well um, and does a really good job at it so let's players come in and like guess takes the heat uh, and so, yeah, I guess if you've been paying attention, like if you're a Brighton fan, you've been watching their games. I don't think you're surprised by the, what's happened so far. Yeah, and they and with, probably should have been on the top of the table. <laughs> yeah, if they had a uh, just got the the job done against Crystal Palace the other night. But it's interesting because um, let teams like Leeds, who I thought would have done better, but they've had have, have had a second year slump. Uh, Leicester seem to be struggling as well, although I think they'll probably ride it in the end. But like certain teams aren't doing as well this season, which allows for teams like Brighton to step up and take mm. that place. So like there, there's no reason why they can't, like, it's very early doors, but like at least push, at least hope to finish top, uh, top, top half. And, you know, who knows in, in a, in a crazy world, push for a European spot, maybe, I don't know. And that's what I was saying about mentioning before the, the mid table, the bars have really been lifted. You've got teams like, yeah, Leeds, West Ham, Villa, Leicester, Brighton. These guys can all beat Arsenal. these top teams. <laughs> <laughs> on, their, on their good days, they could beat these top teams. And you've actually re- got a really competitive, uh, like Palace has got a young squad. Watch out for them in the future. It's not easy anymore to just be Everton and sail into eighth, ninth spot every season. Yeah, It's not a given. No. Uh, and it's good for the league. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it just for, like reaffirms that everyone knows that the Premier League is just easily the best league in the world because like nowhere else 
in Europe and probably the world would you get this level of competition mm. uh, amongst all the teams and like a, a four a four way title a title race and then teams from five to twelve battling it out for the top, rest of the top half. It's 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 really good to watch. But uh, let's get into the Champions League uh, because there's still a lot to cover there. Um, what where do where do we start with this? Do we start with the the sheriffs? Uh, I reckon uh, we'll, I want to touch on them later. So if okay. you want to like quickly roll through some of the some of the results that you thought I guess were interesting, because uh, that, that's the most interesting. Yeah, that's definitely the most interesting. So obviously, uh, PSG beat City two nil. Uh, that game for me does, does City a disservice because I thought that they were really quite good. I I didn't watch the game, but I watched like a tw- a twenty minute like mini match style thing um uh and like yeah they they had plenty of chances and just were unlucky i don't know yeah, uh Bernardo's miss was pretty bad yeah the double post the double post thing was was tough to watch i thought at milan again unlucky to not get anything out of that game uh, Jesse were... was robbed there that second yellow card was soft as hell soft but i also think like, what are you doing? Like jumping into the back of someone when you know you're on a yellow card. Like, just like I, like I said this to Will earlier today. I think like if you know you're on a yellow card, just stay half a yard off a player. Like, there's just no need to contact a guy like straight up his ass like that when you're on a yellow. It's I don't fair, know. but he did go down like a bag of spikes. He did. Actually, he did. sorry, he went up and then down after being tapped on the bottom of the ankles. So. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Liverpool did their thing against Porto. Uh, you've Very scrappy you, game. Porto's goalkeeper was all over the shop. Yeah, but you you messaged me today like. Uh, 20, 24 to four or something like that is their aggregate goal scoring over the last four games between. They're uh, Norwich in the yeah, uh, Champions in the Champions League. League, which is crazy to think that in the Champions League you can have a team like that. But um, and then obviously, or uh, well, not obviously, but interestingly, uh, Club Bruges uh beat Leipzig two one uh to have them sitting uh second or oh, wait second yeah second in their group with PSG and Man City. So uh, interest uh, interesting how some of the groups are setting up obviously Liverpool top of their group Ajax and Dortmund no surprises there uh, and the rest of the groups have still got one game to play mm. but the the PSG group and what we'll talk about in a second the Sheriff Real Madrid into Milan Shakhtar Donetsk group very interesting to see how it's shaping up I know there's still four games to go or five games to go but like Intriguing to see some of the teams that people. I I mean, I thought Club Bridge were going to come last. In if for those of listeners out there who have, remember our episode three weeks ago when we broke down all the UCL groups stages. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's well, their it's president came out and said that they were going to get out of the group, and everyone laughed at him. And then PSG came to Bruges, and Bruges played them off the park. And well, PSG were lucky to get. I a only draw. Wa- I only watched the highlights of that game. Oh, Bruges destroyed them. They were so much better. And like you know, you've just signed Lionel Messi, and you're like, yeah, we're on top of the world. And you go to Bruges, you get you get beat, and you're you're sweating, lucky to get a point. Yeah. Um, in a in a, like another day, they could have easily been on six points. And this group is now the real group of death. I think it's really showing that. Yeah. This Leipzig, is the group. Leipzig, underwhelming for me. I feel like watching them. Uh, when they don't have, because I don't, I don't think they had Dominic Zobosly playing for them this morning. When they don't have him, they look. I wouldn't. I'm not toothless, but just not the team that they were. I mean, that's probably probably because they've had their centre back manager and captain taken. But they they don't uh, not as much of a threat as I thought they would be going into the group stage. Yeah, I don't think they're like. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. Re- reserve my comments on what I think about them as a club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they are a young club without a lot of experience at this level. And they've shown in the last few seasons that they they don't seem to be quite ready for the top levels of European football. And yeah, it might come in coming years, but I don't think they're they're not ready yet. Yeah. But uh so I got too early to call, but I, like, like if, if Club Rouge are uh, to be taken seriously, that group, like you said, could end up being the group of death. I, I don't, I think Liverpool are going to, unless Atletico put in, uh, suddenly put, start putting in really good shifts. I don't like the way they've played their first two games, I, they don't, they're not that convincing to me. So I think Liverpool wins their group easily. 
and then it's a scrap for who finishes second out of the rest of the teams. Because I think Milan's, I don't think I think they were pretty good for their three-two loss against Liverpool round week one, and then they were very they were very unfortunate to lose the game two-one against Atletico. I thought um, their second half against us was um, was decent, and they're well, I guess from forty minutes onwards. But for the first forty minutes, they were non-existent. Um, but when they showed up, they were like showed that they actually can play. They just it just took them a while to get there. Yeah. But yes, yeah, like the real story. I'm not sure if there's anything else you want to talk about before we get into it. But nah, get, let's talk about let, Sheriff. The, the the Moldovan National League premiers, uh, Sheriff. So there's quite an interesting story behind this. That like obviously uh, those who've listened to who remember three weeks ago, I said and Muba said that we knew nothing about Sheriff. So for that simple uh, fact, we said they were going to finish last but over three seasoned Champions League veterans. Fair enough, to be honest. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't take any, you know, I, I don't like rescind that and say like, oh, I'm being made to look like a fool because who bloody knew they were <laughs> going to do this well. But yeah, uh, quite an interesting team, Josh, from their history yeah. and everything. I've done a bit of a, a dive into Sheriff Tiraspol. Uh, it, not only just because they're results, but I'm, I'm a little bit of a geography nerd myself. And it came up when looking into the state of Transnistria, have you ever heard of that before, Woody? I only heard of it this morning, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for those who don't know, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a breakdown of who is Sheriff because everyone's kind of asking this question. So Tiraspol, the city they're from, is the capital of Transnistria. Now, Transnistria runs along the Moldovan-Ukrainian border. It's a very thin sliver um, and it counts as being inside Moldova. However, the area has been very destabilized since the Soviet Union left in the 1991 and, you know, all the Soviet states splintered. Um, Transnistria wanted to stay with the Soviets while the Moldovans wanted to hang out with the Romanians. So they weren't getting along very well. So they had a war. There was an uprising and they said, this is our own territory now. We're, we're our own state. Now, they're not fully recognized as their sep- own separate country, but they operate as a de facto country. They do everything that a country does. They have their own government. They have their own military currency. Like they do everything. They're effectively their own nation. Kind of like a Taiwan situation. Yeah, almost. But um, Taiwan is recognized by other countries in the world as being a nation. It just whether China owns them or not. Um, This is interesting though, because what's happened here is that some countries are dealing with them as their own state. Um, but they're not, I guess, recognised by the United Nations, so they don't come up in, you know, the Olympics. You don't see them having their own, their own country or anything. Um, and so they're effectively their own, their own mini country, and they're playing in the Moldovan League. Um, but who are sheriff? Like they used to be not called that. They used to be Tira Tiraspol. So sheriff is a huge corporate giant in the region. Uh, one in every forty or so Transnistrians works for sheriff. Um, what what, what are a, they? What do they deal in? This is the list of things that they deal in: petrol, supermarkets, TV channels, telecommunications, construction, publishing, advertising, alcohol breweries, cars, and hotels. They built wow. and own the stadium that the club plays in. They they own the country. Um, and this is a bit of an issue because they've meddled in the local politics as well. So sheriff has a huge pull, and because of that, sheriff Tiraspol has a lot of money. And this is why they're doing so well on the European stage for a country that a lot of people have never heard of in the world. I noticed that they had a bunch of like Brazilian sounding players in their team. And I'm like, hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So they have 18 different nations inside their squad. They have eight African players, six South American players. Like it's all over the world. There's more international players on Sheriff than there are in the, the rest of the entire Moldovan league combined. Oh, wow. So that puts into perspective how they compare to the, the rest of the league. Last year, they won the league with 98, I'm sorry, 99 out of 108 points. They conceded seven goals in 36 games and had a 106 goal difference. That's interesting because they're third currently. They are, which is, I don't know how that's happened, but last season they basically took the piss. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Piss. Yeah. Uh, and this is their uh, fifth European um appearance basically they've been in the europa league four times they finished third on three occasions and last once yeah it's their first time in the champions okay yeah first time in champions league they've been in the playoffs a couple of times and gotten really close but um always losing 
Yeah, I, when I was research, did my very base level research of not their everything else, but just their footballing. It, I think the furthest they've made it is the second qualifying uh, round. Mm. But yeah, that, that that is crazy. Yeah, so uh, a, a, a fake, or not a fake, a de facto state, which is half run by a company which owns this team that's dominated their local league and now is on top of the Champions League group. And like, a team a that to put them on the map is younger than both me and you. Yeah. yeah it's, Formed uh, in 1997. Yeah. So what a story. I almost like, I, before, I don't know, I, I'm rooting for them because like you love an underdog, but also like the way that like it's, it's, it's I don't know, I feel a bit weird about a, 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 a company that owns half of the state owning a team that essentially and then making them financially better off than everyone else and yeah by default <laughs> therefore winning the league it, and making it'd be the like league. if in the epl you had like i don't know swansea or cardiff and then this huge welsh company was just like we're gonna make a welsh team dominate the premier league like yeah. that's what they've done they're like we're gonna make transnistria dominate the moldovan league we're gonna pump in the money and we're gonna well, get to Europe, and that's what they've done. So, be kind of like if, kind of like if, um, the government started funding an ACT team in the A League, <laughs> and they started dominating. It's, yeah, I guess it's it's what happens when you've got such because like Transnistria is not big, so if your country's no. that small, there's not it's it's not a diverse array of people and places and companies. No, it's not so. at all. But yeah, like from a footballing perspective, they they play good stuff. Like, Mate, that like goal. they, 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 that goal, whew, half volley of dreams. Ooh. Like they, they, they defend for their lives. Like they, they, they're extremely quick on the counter, very direct. They're good to watch. They're not, they're not just like a park the bus and hope for the best team. Like they're actually playing good football out here, which is, which is wild. Absolutely. And when you dominate your Moldovan league, like sure, go ahead. But to win these games in the champions league, like they've obviously got money, but they've not got Real Madrid money. They don't even have Inter Milan or Shakhtar money, but their coach has to be lauded. He's a Ukrainian guy. He has to be lauded for being able to do this with this squad. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. Come out of the Moldovan league and play in the Champions League and win games. Like, well done, mate. Well done. And I guess like they've still got to play Inter Milan, but then I guess after the Inter Milan game, you can very well get an idea of whether or not they could actually make it out of the group. Like they're top of the group now. Still four games to play, so it's all to play for. But like, it would Six be wild. Points. There's a lot of points in a championship. A lot of points, group. yeah. Uh, so, some games that are have not been played and are to play tomorrow. Uh, just just to round us round us out before we close off, we've got the games of note. I've got down are um, Wolfsburg versus Sevilla, just because I think it's the two teams that will be vying to top that group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got Juventus versus Chelsea, obviously, because. Like Juventus versus Chelsea, uh, and then Man United versus Villarreal. I'm worried for United here. Like, obviously, I'm not worried because I hope they lose. But like, if I'm a United <laughs> fan, I'm worried. Your hey, thoughts? I haven't seen Villarreal play this season. I don't know how well they're doing. Uh, look, Spanish teams do exceptionally well in Europe, and it just happens season after season. So, I expect a good game at least. But I. I hope for Manchester United supporters' sake that they get a little kick up the ass after what's happened in the last week and they come oh, out yeah. with a good performance. So Villarreal are currently 11th and they've had six games and their last five were a draw, a win and three draws. So make of that what you will. But, you know. I'm more worried for Juventus, to be honest. Yeah, I think Chelsea, Chelsea could gonna... do them in there. Uh, something about Juventus have like only won one game or still searching for their first win since uh, the start of the season. Really, I wouldn't. I, I, everyone's going to say it's because Ronaldo left, but I think they had issues long before um, Ronaldo left that were kind of coming home to roost now. Oh, especially considering the revolving door of the, uh, the the management. So they've won their last two now on the trot, Juve, but. Um, hmm. Like they're like they're just changing coaches all the time. They're losing like players revolving. Dybala was so important, and then Ronaldo took over, and now they're like Dybala, do it again. And it's yeah, it's, it's hard. hard for them. Yeah, and Chelsea looks so good. So yeah, so I think that of those games, Chelsea, I think I think United just because they have to bounce back in some sort of way. And I think are they playing at home? 
Looks, yeah, it looks like they're yep. playing at home. Yep. I think they scrape a win there just because they have to. Um, and then I think Chelsea convincingly beat Juventus. Wolfsburg Sevilla, I'm, 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 I don't know about that one because Sevilla have started well. They're third in their third in the Liga, but Wolfsburg have also started well in the Bundesliga. So I don't know. Have you watched much Bundesliga this season? I've actually been watching a lot more than I have in previous seasons. I've um, been really enjoying it. Uh, I I recommend to anyone who's, if there's not games on, um, you know, you've got B in, Foxtel, KO, which actually we might speak about just after this. Um, mm. Bundesliga is playing very exciting football this year. La Liga is still very scrappy. Serie A is good tactical battles, but if you want to watch entertaining football, Go watch the Bundesliga. The teams play very nice, attractive, open-flowing football. So I think you could get um, a couple of goals in that game. Uh, yeah, and even if you can't watch all the uh, – and if you don't have BN or anything, you can't watch the games, BN post posts highlights from the Scottish League, the Bundesliga, La, uh, La Liga. The second uh, Bundesliga even. The second Bundesliga. Heidenheim. Play. Oh, Heidenheim, <laughs> your hometown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's really – I've been definitely been enjoying um, following my sort of de facto – German team Dortmund um, uh, mainly just because I don't know I think I've always liked Dortmund but especially this season because uh, Jude Bellingham is just uh, mm. I can't get enough of Jude Bellingham and their highlights are a lot better than the Champions League highlights posted by Stan yeah well before. which brings us to probably our last talking point before we, before we round out the show uh, media coverage of European football um, where do, where do we approach this one from? Well, first and foremost, Stan's sports coverage of this Champions League is atrocious, uh, first and foremost. Um, I, I I don't have Stan sport because I, I don't want to pay more for it. The fact that you have to pay more for it in the first place is stupid. Um, and then the fact that I'm not sure if they do mini matches or stuff like that, but do you know? I, I only see their Champions League highlights from this morning which show goals being given and then called offside and then no part of the highlights yeah. where VARs overruled it. And this is what not I was knowing it's actually a goal. Say next. Like, yeah, in the Leipzig uh, Club Bruges game, there's just like like a goal is scored and they're like, oh, no, it's offside. And they're like, oh, but maybe it'll be checked. And then they Happened show a replay twice. of the goal and then it's just play on and it's one nil and you're like, what? <laughs> and then, like you said, it happened again. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. And then they've got the really like shitty like, like, or like a year 10 graphics designer doing the second half highlights thing in the middle of the thing. It's just, it's really poor. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, you've touched on this already. It's kind of forced you to at least for Champions League to go back to what we used to do frequently, which is um, uh, uh, illegal soccer streams. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. And like, they're quite good these days, to be fair. Like they were, they were rough for a few years, but they're quite good now. And it's not like saying we don't want to pay for football, but if, if you're in Australia and you want to watch football, the A-League's just moved off Foxtel and KO. It's gone to Paramount Plus slash Channel 10. So now if you want to watch the A-League, that's on a different platform. KO Foxtel's got B in sport for those leagues we just mentioned before. Champions League's gone to Stan Sport. EPL's on Optus. That's four different services that you have to pay for where previously you used to get Champions League on SBS and you used to get everything else on Foxtel. Um, you didn't have to have to pay for SBS. Now yeah. you pay for four things rather than one. And like, I'm, uh, I'm not, I I'm can't not, afford to pay for four services. Exactly. And it's, and it's like, for example, it's like, it's like will be pays for mine and his off the sport, which you use. And then uh, I, I've used your KO in the past. I'm pretty sure. Like, it's just like, he's yep. come, everyone's trying to do this stuff, which is, and sort of everyone's just sort of getting around what these guys do but like and i'm not saying i'm for like monopolies in media rights but like it was so much easier like you said when it was just sps and foxtel like i'm not a fan of foxtel either but hey champions league being on free to air is really important yeah having something on free to air is important so i hope that there's going to be a couple more games when sbs used to have like uh one of the like the early kickoff um for the premier league did they? Oh yeah, no, they did. They, yeah, they had one. They had. I think they had one game a week, or maybe one game every fortnight. Yeah, I, yeah, and that was awesome because you got people who weren't football fans. And you could sit down and put a game on, and enjoy watching and grow the game. Exactly. 
yeah so it's 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 a bit of a sorry state of affairs at the moment but you know what are you going to do for for, the, for now it's just for me it's up to sport uh youtube be in sport highlights and then uh for for for, for the day at, when it gets into the nitty-gritty of the champions league and the knockout stage um i'm probably gonna uh, when i'll start getting up early enough to watch games i'll probably have to go back to my uh, uh footy bite is the site that we love to use anyway if anyone out there who wants to stream go to footy bite they're very good uh, but yeah, I think that's that's roughly an hour, and which should see us through to the the end of this one. Uh, thank you for hosting, Josh, co-hosting. Yeah, it was good fun, and um, good to have you on to chat with you again. And it's, it's a shame that Wilby's not here though, and get to chat with him as well because, yes. especially talking about United, his his second love. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he would have would have a lot to say, and possibly a differing opinion to two blokes who don't like United. Uh, but it is what it is, and I'm sure he'll be back uh, next week, and uh, I'm sure you'll be on again in some way, shape, or form in the coming future. But, yeah, uh, I guess for now, that is uh, us uh, signing off. 